Welcome to Rooted and Reaching, a podcast from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia in Columbia, Maryland, where we celebrate the beauty of our diversity. In our conversations here, we share stories of our journeys and explore ideas that challenge us in order to nurture the interdependent web of which we are all a part. We are rooted in faith, reaching for community. In this episode, I'll be chatting with UUCC member Jenny Afkinich, who will tell us all about her journey to completing her PhD in social work this past summer. Jenny will also chat about serving on the auction team and invite you to get involved in the auction, which is happening now through Saturday, February 6th. So Jenny, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah. So we're gonna talk a little bit about your dissertation. Can you tell us a little bit about it and what was it about and how long did it take to complete? Sure, my field is social work. So the title of my dissertation is Social Workers and Disproportionate Minority Contact, a Mixed Method Study. Before I entered the PhD program, I was a social worker for Department of Juvenile Justice in South Carolina. And I worked in a county office, which is a newer role for social workers in that state and also not a role that social workers hold frequently in other states either. Um, So part of my role was to give input on um, recommendations that that the state would make to court um, for adjudication or like sentences for kids in the system. Uh, But it's also a lot broader than that too. Um, It could play a role in very early diversion, like parents could come and um, say they were concerned about a kid and the social worker could step in there providing individual counseling. I did sometimes often doing referrals to um, services that would be more tailored to them. And so my hypothesis was that the, that having social workers in that role could be um, a useful tool for combating overrepresentation of Black kids and also um, kids of color more broadly, because the social workers are not bound by any particular like risk assessment or um, any objective measures. We could make recommendations based on also our like clinical knowledge or um, say opinion, but like informed opinion, I guess I mean. Right. So that, that's what I was hoping to see. Um, in South Carolina, there are, I think, 43 counties and there are social workers in um, around 10 of them. Wow. So I compared um, outcomes. I did a sample that was only kids who are black, comparing um, black kids in counties with social workers to kids, um, black kids in counties without social workers. Okay. I also looked at uh, black kids in counties with social workers compared to black kids in those same counties before they had social workers in the counties. And then I also did uh, another set of analyses that were um, kids of all races and ethnicities. Um, the same way, kids in counties with social workers compared to counties without, and also across time, just in the counties that now have social workers, um, to see if race was a, a predictor of the types of outcomes that they received. By and large, it's uh, not. There are other variables that account for the disparities. So if you look at, if you look just at only at race, 
in South Carolina and pretty much everywhere, um, nationally, definitely, but particularly in South Carolina, there are definitely Black kids overrepresented at the most extreme ends of the system. So being moved to adult court was one thing I was looking at, and also getting a placement, um, being required to go to a placement out of their home. And that that's definitely still the case. But the biggest... The biggest racial disparity is really at the at the time of arrest, and the social workers don't have a, they don't have much of an opportunity to play a role in that decision. At least not yet. That's some of the implications I wrote about are ways that social workers could um, impact the actual arrest rates. How long did it take to uh, complete this? Um, about. It depends on when you start counting, I guess. Uh, about right. four years from starting writing my proposal. And after, after I finished my proposal, I had, it took a while to get the data from the state long enough that I started considering how can I do this dissertation if I don't get it, the data from them. Um, I also had interviews with the social workers, but so to actually like um, analyze the data, conduct the interviews, analyze the interviews and write it up like two years for me. Wow. So much work. (laughs) So good though. Power when... Did you feel called to the field of social work? I would say my senior year of college, I was spending a lot of time with um, some family members who had some legal legal concerns themselves, but who had friends who had more, much more serious uh, legal concerns. And um, I remember talking to one of my cousin's friends who was like on parole. He was probably like I was maybe 21. He was maybe... 20, I guess. And he was on um, parole and like, didn't have anywhere to live. His family didn't live in the County, but his um, parole requirements required that he stay in the County. Um, So he didn't have a job, didn't have a house and felt kind of like trapped in a system that I thought that doesn't seem like it makes sense to me, but I'm not really sure what to tell you to do differently or like how to navigate that. Um, That's when I started to think like, well, what, how could I learn how to navigate that? And that's when I decided to go into social work. It was a little bit spur of the moment. Like I was already a senior in college and then I decided to apply like right away. Um, So I got an MSW right after college. And then I worked for a couple of years before I decided to apply for the PhD. And can you tell us about what it felt like defending your dissertation? Just what that day was like emotionally (laughs) or psychologically or Um, it was, it was really scary. I mean, it was during the pandemic. So it was in July. Yeah. So in that way it was, I I guess the day of, I probably didn't feel disappointed, but leading up to it, I definitely did. Cause like my, I've been in the program for six years and like my parents hadn't been to the, hadn't been to my school, for example, or like met anyone. And so I was looking forward to showing them around my school and like introducing them to, um, my chair that my dissertation chair, Uh, I couldn't do that. But there are some upsides to it being virtual too. I had friends from like kind of all walks of life that were able to attend. And my parents and, and my sister were able to attend virtually too. And both my kids, which I probably would have brought them anyway, but they <laughs> would have been a distraction in person. Whereas um, Kevin was like in a different room than I was with a, like, you know, behind a screen muted and stuff. So they were not a distraction, but um, it was definitely, I was just really, really nervous when I, I logged in. And then I just like walked away from my computer because I like felt way too nervous just like sitting at the screen. And then ever since then, I'd say it's been, um, you know, every once in a while I think about it again and then I'm just really like surprised, (laughs) like excited again. Like, oh yeah, I finished it. I'm so happy I finished it. (laughs) 
Does Unitarian Universalism or its principles guide you in your work at all or overlap with the way you approach your studies and work? Um, I would say yes. So I became a social worker and, and entered my current program having not been really connected to uh, Unitarian Universalism, but I had been attending UCC for at least a couple of years before I started my dissertation at all. And I think to some extent, I would say that the, the same values that led me to being, to liking attending UCC specifically and led me to Unitarian Universalism more broadly are, um, it's reflected in the same values as, as what drew me to being a social worker, even like really concretely the, um, the seven principles or eight principles, I think align really well with the values that the National Association of Social Workers outlines. So I would say it's, yeah, in terms of like the values, um, I think Unitarian Universalist values are really reflected in, in my dissertation work as well. Yeah, it seems like a nice alignment there, which has got to feel <laughs> good. So what was the hardest part or moment of getting your PhD? I can think of a couple. I, I don't know that they're interesting stories to listen to. Like one of them would be when I thought I was like finished with my dissertation proposal, which I'd been working on for like two years, which in my program is on the long end. Some people do it much more quickly than that. And I, like my, and I remember my chair said something like, um, like when should I expect the literature review? And then I realized that I had a whole another chapter that I had to write when I thought I was kind of done. Um, so that was like probably the only time that I was like really, I would say like almost angry. Like, can I really do this? Like I've spent like two years doing this and I still have a whole chapter. I didn't even realize I needed to write. Um, the only, the other thing I would say would be like, there are a couple of times, you know, in when I was in full-time coursework where it seemed like, you know, I felt like I might have more to get done than I could realistically do, but I had pretty flexible faculty. And then of course I finished it during the pandemic. So I didn't have, I was supposed to, I had a date to defend my dissertation in May and mid-March it was like, obviously I'm not finishing in, in May. I was also sick in March. My whole family was sick with like a presumptive COVID case, like before there was testing available. So pretty much immediately, like the same week that everything closed down for the pandemic, I was contacting my committee members to say like, I'm not finishing in March, but I'm hoping for the summer. So, but Kevin was able to really like adapt his work schedule to be with uh, Margot and Violet all pretty much full-time while I finished writing. At that point, I'd done pretty much all the work. I just had to like sit and write and I'm easily distracted by anything, I guess, when, I, when I'm trying to write, so. And during a pandemic too, like good luck trying to focus your brain this year. Right, and, <laughs> and I, I, like I think right at the end was during the, um, during the protests that erupted around George Floyd. So I made some kind of last minute changes to my, to my discussion section as well like at maybe the end of June yeah. to speak to that a little bit more directly. Yeah. Was there a best part aside from obviously the end? <laughs> <laughs> I th- well, I've made a couple of um, really great friends. I had like strong um, support network within the program. It was probably the best part. I, I have one friend in particular that I met with <clears throat> really regularly to keep track of our keep each other updated on how things were going and like uh, motivate one another. And then when we were applying for jobs, we were, it was great to have someone who knew very, very well the types of jobs that I was looking for. And 
who I think sort of miraculously, we were non-competitive with each other because we were applying for the same jobs. We interviewed for more than one of the same job. So, <laughs> but it was great to just be able to like debrief with her about that and, and feel like we could be really, just be like really honest about it. Yeah. So what's next for you? Um, so for a few months now, I've been working at the Institute for Innovation and Implementation, which is the University of Maryland School of Social Work. Um, working in kind of a um, different field than, than what I was doing before, which is parent, infant, and early childhood um, mental health. So it's been great that my job title is research analyst, but my supervisor has been treating it like a postdoc, which is like a, um, usually a temporary position between finishing a PhD and going into an academic position, which is what I would like to do. So probably either this coming fall or, or else the next, um, I'll start applying for, um, for academic positions again to hopefully be a professor in a school of social work. Nice. So unrelated to all of this, you're on UUCC's auction team and you were part of helping make this year's first ever online auction happen. What made you feel called to serve the congregation in this role? Um, I'm like, I'm laughing because as like Kevin would tell you, I just, I don't tend to say no when people ask me something directly. So (laughs) I was at the, I don't remember what the events was called, but like where people were out um, to tell had like little booths about the different um, activities that were available at UCC. And um, someone approached me about the auction and said that they were looking for, for more members of the team. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, be interested in doing that. And so this is the first year that I've been in the auction. So um, I don't know that much about what it was like in prior years, but, but there were a lot of decisions we had to make this year in order to adapt it to being online. Right. So it's happening through, it's happening now through Saturday the 6th, right? Yes. But I think it is important to remember that the, that events close at different times. So I think um, as soon as maybe this Friday, I think is like when the first events start closing. So it's not something where you can wait until the 6th and then look at it then. Also, there are, there's a lot of fixed price items more so than like items that would normally be bid up in, in our vocal auction in the past are um, mostly fixed price this time. So, which means that there are a certain number of seats that are available um, and they're kind of, they're more first come first serve. Um, we are trying though to replicate the more like um, bid up, like multi multiple winner bid up items by doing a couple of live events. So we had two last night and the next two are um, next Monday. February 1st at seven o'clock and eight o'clock. So those events only last for 15 minutes. So it'd be important to be there like right at seven or right at eight. One is a dinner and one is a um, wine tasting. Mm, Nice. (laughs) Thank you so much for chatting with me. Well, thank you. Have a good rest of the day. All right, thanks, you too.